What is your name and how do you spell it? Uh, my name is Doug Zygmar, D-O-U-G. Zygmar is Z-I-G-G-E-M-E-I-E-R. Uh, what is your history within the Francis Howell School District? So the history started uh, about nine years ago when my wife and I moved into the school district. Uh, and we made a decision because uh, we moved in in January uh, to the frame and we made a decision that we were going to look at the schools in the area and uh, decide basically between two, either St. Joe's uh, Catholic School or to send our oldest to Warren. And when we toured both of them, we were very uh, pleasantly surprised about how uh, amazing Warren was. And so that kind of started the, the history of us uh, within the Francis House School District, uh, not only just as a taxpayer from that uh, moving into the district, but then sending our kids uh, to school within the district as well. So now I have three kids at each building level, uh, minus the early childhood, but at elementary, middle school, and high school. What is your educational background? So they have a in criminal justice and organizational leadership, and then I have a master's degree in uh, criminal justice from the University of Cincinnati. What is your current occupation? I am a uh, insurance agent, so I own the agency, and then I am also an adjunct college professor at a local community college where I teach criminal justice. What made you decide to run for the Board of Education? Uh, well, I am the only incumbent on the ballot. So when I decided uh, basically a little over three and a half years ago, uh, I wanted to get back into uh, uh, being involved in the community. Uh, basically, I, I've been an insurance sales or agent and running an agency for the past six years. But before that, I was in law enforcement, so deeply involved in the community. And so I wanted to kind of do that, give back to the community, get involved in the community, and do so in a way that was impactful for my kids. And I heard that at that time, one of the uh, existing board members was not uh, running again. And so I knew that there was going to be a vacancy because that was important to me because I thought the Francis Howell was doing uh, rather well and, and very high achieving, and I wanted to continue that success. So I didn't really necessarily want to knock anybody off for any reason. So since there was an open seat, I saw that as an opportunity to get involved. Uh, how would you describe yourself as a candidate? So as a candidate, I believe that it's important to be balanced in the approach on how we handle our school board. Uh, unfortunately, over the past uh, couple of years, we've seen a lot of partisan politics uh, kind of seeping into the school board. And I don't think that that does anybody any good, uh, whether you're uh, on the conservative side, Republican or liberal or Democrat, whatever you uh, describe yourself as if we start getting into these partisan politics and this extremism that's been uh, happening, it, it just doesn't benefit, I think, one, the community, and it definitely doesn't benefit our uh, students as well.
how do you think the sorry how do you think the current lineup for the board of education is doing now so you mean the people that are on the ballot right now uh no uh, the people currently sitting on the board, yes. So I, I think we do a good job, uh, for the most part, of uh, trying to find a balanced approach, trying to find middle ground. Um, unfortunately, we have some, some uh, decisions that are being made by some uh, can or board members that aren't always, I believe, in the best interest of all the kids in our district. And and I think that that's extremely important for a board member is to have that weighing into every decision. Is this a positive for all of our students in the district? And and not only just that, that's foremost, but obviously it has to be a uh, a good thing for the community at large because we're responsive to our community members. So that all has to have a balance. And to kind of go back to what I was answering on the last question, when we start getting into those uh, extremist uh, political partisan issues, that doesn't factor in. It's always about the political party ideology. And that should not, should not be a part of decision making in a school board or in a school district. Uh, overall, how do you feel about the school district's curriculum, as in what's taught in the schools? So, that's a good question. I, I, overall, I feel really good about it because. When we talk about curriculum, it's not like it's just an afterthought. We're like, oh, let's go just pick up a math book someplace. There's a lot of forethought and a lot of planning and a lot of research that goes into it. Uh, and so when they have those decisions, they know that when curriculum is decided on, it's going to be a part of the school district for some time because when we make those decisions, there's a lot of money that goes into those curriculums. So you can't just change math, a curriculum every year. You can't just change reading. There has to be cycles to this to make it manageable from a budgetary standpoint. And so there has to be a lot of layers to that. So I know that there's been some uh, talk about conferences and what teachers go to for continuing education. And I think it's important to have those conferences. I think it's important to have those teachers go and get continuing education, continuing education, and specifically those conferences with for teachers, so they can bring that information to the school. But again, mean that it automatically gets put into our curriculum. There are a variety of layers that that has to go through in order for curriculum to be adapted and put into place. So. When, when we talk about that, I think overall I'm very happy with our curriculum um, and I'm very happy with the academic successes that there have been in this district. Uh, is there anything in the curriculum that you would try to change with another term on the board? I think that there is some value in when the comes up to taking a look at that curriculum because there has been a lot of feedback 
uh, that we've gotten from uh, a variety of stakeholders in the community. So that is one thing uh, that I think would be something that we could take a look at as far as uh, adjusting curriculum. Even with uh, some literacy, we had a workshop on that recently. There's some avenues. Each time that these curriculum uh, opportunities come up when it's due for possible change or renewal. I think those are always opportunities to adjust curriculum and, and do something that may be more beneficial for the district. And if, uh, if maybe the current curriculum that we have is, is still the gold standard, then we continue on with that. But I think those always present opportunities for us to kind of change and modify it for the better. So uh, critical race theory is a subject that has come up in school board elections across the country in the past few years. Uh, what are your thoughts on it and how do you view the district's current treatment of it? So good question. The critical race theory has been brought up, has been brought up uh, quite a bit over the past uh, year, even in this district. So uh, critical race theory uh, from everything that I can tell is not being taught in this district. There's some words or some facts that belong as a part of critical race theory that may come up in other topics in other areas. There might be. Uh, it doesn't mean that critical race theory is being taught or as some other people would like to say, is it something that we're trying to indoctrinate our kids with? It's, it's not. It's not happening here. The, the reality of it is, is when we're talking about uh, education and schools, the, the way to actually educate people and the way to educate students and allow them their own thoughts is to explore ideas and opportunities and talking about issues. And so denying people certain uh, thoughts, denying certain topics in discussion is uh, – something that I don't necessarily agree with because we have to be able to allow our kids to critically think because at the end of the day, that's what it's really about. We're teaching our kids to think and we shouldn't be teaching our kids to think. And so really critical thought in teaching how to critically analyze and actually have that process involved in thinking when we're talking about education is important. And so to take things off the table like we can't discuss them, I don't think it does a benefit to anybody. And, and I think it also allows an opportunity for families to engage with their uh, kids as well. Um, and so if parents are paying attention to the material and the stuff that's being presented to their uh, kids at school, it allows them an opportunity to enter into that discussion and then also help their child on uh, on how to think, not necessarily what to think. But again, that, that obviously is a personal choice that uh, parents have to have with their own kids. They have their own choice on how that happens. But as far as a board member goes and what happens in classrooms, we shouldn't be teaching our kids what to think. We should be te teaching them how to think and think critically. How do you feel about the school district's use of standardized testing? And do you think we are seeing good results from them? So, uh, standardized testing, I think it has its benefits. And then, obviously, uh, there's going to always be some drawbacks to any, anything. Uh, standardized testing helps us to track, and then it helps us to also compare to other school districts. So, I think there's some 
some good things with that. So uh, it allows us to, like I said, track students, but it also allows us to gauge where we are with other people to see um, one, how successful that we're being. Um, and so it, it, to that regard, I think that it's uh, a good thing for the district. Uh, what are your thoughts on current fiscal policy? So, good question. Uh, that is obviously one that's always a topic uh, with community members and uh, staff and even board members. Uh, and the reality is our, our fiscal responsibility is uh, important. Um, we have to be able to uh, maintain a balanced budget, and that's vital, right? Uh, we also have to understand that the complicatedness of our budget is not anywhere close to what it is for, say, an average household. Uh, and so what I mean by that is we have constraints on the budgets. We have buckets of money on how we are able to uh, spend that money as well. So we have buckets such as debt services where we have to pay back say, uh, money to say bonds that were issued. We have an, a capital expenditure where only money from you can go to maintaining the district's buildings and, and capital projects like building Francis and then we have an operating fund and then we have uh, and from that that's where we spend uh, money on keeping the lights on uh, utilities to the schools so on and so forth and then we have the teachers that we have to pay as well and so those are uh, big enough constraints alone on a budget but when you then take that and say, you don't know what your revenue, that income is going to be next year for certain, that makes it a whole nother big layer of complexity. Because we don't always know what our tax revenue is going to be the following year. We just have estimates. And so sometimes we'll see it's more, sometimes we'll see that it's less. That provides uncertainty. And so when we make these decisions about paying uh, teachers more or if we're going to do a project, we don't have those certainties built in just by design. That's how, unfortunately, it works because we receive a large amount of our money from tax revenues. We don't always know what we're going to get. And so when people look at the fiscal responsibility of the district, it's really easy to try to uh, take something and say, why would the Board of Education or why do, would the school district do this and reflect on their own circumstances and not really uh, fully perceive that there's a lot more of complex issues that happen on a school board level, especially with a budget our size. So I say all of that to also say, think we do okay. We have to do a lot of budgetary gymnastics, it feels like, over the past decade because we haven't seen a tax levy since, I think, 2003 or four. It's been almost 20, 20 years. And so 
yes, home values go up. So a certain percentage, uh, we get more every couple of years, properties reassessed. But we're we're also the lowest taxed levy district in St. Charles County, and we're still the highest achieving school district in St. Charles County. And so I think based on that, we're we produce achieving uh, standards and students, and we have to uh, spend the money wisely. One. And, and in doing so, uh, has to make sure that, kind of lost a little bit of the train of thought there, but has to make sure that we are, uh, one, spending our money wisely, but two, making sure that we're taking care of our teachers, because when we talk about this responsibility, about 85% of our operating budget goes to teacher and staff pay. So if we talk about that remaining 15%, it's not a lot because we're talking about this uh, creation, other things that are um, a part of that 15%. Could it be better? Yes. But in March, uh, reasoning for why I think it could be better is that past tax levies, uh, initiatives on the ballots would have passed and would have made this a lot better. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, how do you feel about the district's current funding allocations? Do you have uh, anything specific on what you're talking about there? Uh, just like, well, you were talking about like those buckets of spending, uh, where the money goes from those buckets, like how it's dispersed. Yeah, so, because I, I thought maybe you're kind of gearing that towards Prop S. So, when we talk about allocations with budget is about as thin uh, wiggle room as that you have with uh, any kind of uh, budget discretion. Like, do we buy less uh, pencils and markers to save money? Do we buy less papers? Like, that's almost to the conversations of where we're getting uh, with any type of uh, budget cuts or adjustments in the operating uh, fund. And so, that is its own complications because we want to make sure that we're paying teachers appropriately. We want to retain the good teachers. We want to attract great teachers also from other districts and bring them over here. And if we can't pay them appropriately, then that's definitely going to affect that. And so that's an important thing to note on, say, something like the operating fund. But when we talk about tax, um, the debt services, that is going to what it is. We have to be able to fill that bucket of money appropriately to pay off our debts. We need to be able to pay off the people that have given us money, basically. And so that, I think, is just an absolute requirement. And I think it's also statutorily required. And then when we talk about uh, capital expenses, obviously we have to maintain our buildings. It's important to do so. Uh, but in regards to something like, say, Prop S, that, again, presents its own set of complications because a lot of people like to reflect back and say when there was talks about Prop S and bringing a ballot to the ballot, 
there were uh, some thought processes that they went through. This is before my team on the board, but I know that they went through and said, hey, we need to have a general idea of how we're going to tell the community that we're going to spend the money. And so they put together a list and said, hey, these are our goals in addressing project issues throughout the district. And what they did is they had uh, some estimates that were drawn up at that time. I want to say that that was around 2018. And they uh, basically assigned some estimates to those projects. One of those being Francis. And so one of the biggest uh, misleading statements from uh, candidates and political action committees is that there was a 91% budget overrun on the Francis Hill North project. And unfortunately, that is very misleading and very inaccurate. And so when we like look at that, that 2018 number is an estimate. They didn't actually start doing drawings. They didn't actually start doing all the things where you would come up with a thin estimate because we didn't have money yet right? it wasn't even it wasn't even approved and so that was an estimate fast forward a couple of years uh that uh that project was know, 10 15 percent more i don't have the figures in but that project a couple of years later was more when we started it uh and as a result couple months later, because we're in the middle of COVID, some big inflation starts to happen. And so when that big inflation happens, it drastically impacted that building that school. And so it did jump from a number that was projected in 2018 to what we currently have as the guaranteed maximum price. The good part about what we did is when that project's done, everything's done on that campus. There isn't anything else that needs to be done. We don't have to go back and try to uh, put in an auditorium or fix something else like we saw at Francis Hall Everything is done. Um, and so when we take a look and factor in all of those different things with Francis Hall North, it's not a 91% uh, overrun of that budget. That was not the budget when they were giving estimates. And so where there's some missteps in the processes surrounding Francis Island North, there definitely was. Um, and the board has also taken some of the steps to adjust that. In fact, we see that we have a new superintendent and then they chief financial officer and they also have been researching what those process flaws were and had some outside people help them and we should be getting a report on that i believe here soon i don't think it's this thursday but i i think we should be seeing that maybe in march um and so i think that's important to note all of those factors are are part of that because when we compare francis Hall north to say Orchard Farms or Ladue, we didn't make any big missteps as far as pricing goes. The the market hasn't come back down, and so we would either be waiting years and years and years in order for it to come back down, or we wouldn't actually see any kind of cost savings from uh, waiting. In fact, when we surveyed our community members, 
uh, to see if should we pause Francis Allen North or move forward. It was overwhelming support to keep moving forward on that. Okay, so I think he mostly. I'm throwing a lot of information at you. I'm very sorry, by the way. Yeah, it's all fine. I think he mostly answered my next question, which is uh, how do you feel that Prop S spending was handled? Uh, would you like to add anything else, sir? Hey, two birds with one stone. There. <laughs> yeah. So, how would you try to help the with the staffing issues in the district if you had another term? So, that's, that's also you're asking a lot of good questions because I've recently been thinking about that because if uh, if Facebook or website, I've uh, been trying to address new topics, and one of those new topics that I'm wanting to address is staffing and teacher support. How do we support them? I think the easy answer is we need more funding, and so if we get more funding, hopefully that that will help alleviate some of the stresses and uh, that the teachers have, and and help uh, their workloads and those types of things. So, if I had a magic wand, I'd say we have more funding and that would solve some of our problems. And in reality, we don't have a magic wand. We can't just automatically just start hiring a bunch of new people and giving everybody raises and all those types of things because we have budget issues. We don't have the revenues that are coming in that we need in order to maintain uh, the high levels of staffing that we would like or uh, pay teachers what we would like as well. Um, so that obviously presents some issues. So how do you do that? How do you provide support uh, where funding is really the biggest issue there? It's in the everyday. I think we have to listen to our teachers and see what kind of simple supports that we have uh, to provide them. And, and I said that on my Facebook page and on my website that uh, I'm doing those kind of topics. In fact, today is one to where I'm kind of doing kind of a thought experiment and asking some people's feedback on that particular issue. What kind of support can the district uh, provide teachers and staff? What kind of things uh, can we do? One, again, that kind of ties back to money. We were able to do uh, mid-year and provide a little bit extra uh, financial support to our custodians. I think that was an important step. It wasn't overly financially burdensome. We were able to make some minor adjustments, uh, and, and rightfully so. And that helped with retaining custodians um, and uh, attracting them a little bit. And that way that they took off not only some burden from the custodians, but also took off some burden from teachers having to clean up after uh, students because custodians couldn't get to it, the, uh, that type of thing. Also, also the supports, we have some vacancies and positions because the labor market just is kind of crazy right now. So outside of the box types of thinking to attract employees to come work for us, some things that we need to try to come up with and remedy our, uh, within the district as well. Oh, what would you do to try to help the students within the district if you had another term on the board? Um, so, I think helping the students uh, in this capacity is also relying on the experts in the room. Although I might be an adjunct, uh, 
professor at a local community college, my niche of expertise in that is criminal justice. So I'm not a, a, an expert on how to uh, have teachers teach, um, but we have those experts in our district. And so my job as a board member is to rely on their expertise, allow them to continually develop their uh, they're in their, within their profession, so I think that's important. I also think it's important to uh, listen to and acknowledge the students as well. Uh, I think that that was one thing that we definitely saw with Black history and Black literature, that there was uh, a want and a desire for that, so that's why I supported it. Um, and, and so whether it's listening to the uh, professional in the room that obviously is a part of the district giving us what we need and trying to figure out ways to get to that, or if it's uh, listening to the students, I think those are two vitally important things. But I think it's also important to listen to teachers and also listen to our community members and, and make the best decision for everyone involved. And again, there's there's a, a priority to uh, uh, to that as well. I mean, first and foremost, again, the betterment and what's beneficial for students should be the top of our uh, list when we're making those decisions. So with the prevalence of mass shootings in America, how do you feel about the safety of the Francis Howell School District? So, you actually brought up a point that when I started talking, I wanted to mention on the last question. Um, I think it's uh, honestly vitally um, I was a very big advocate and, and even uh, suggested putting some school resource officers that are uh, in our, to our elementary schools as well. There's a lot more that I think school resource officers do at middle school and high school, and there's not that same need at, a, at an elementary school. But having them there present helps with that safety and that security. Obviously, there's an immediate response. We don't have to wait minutes for a law enforcement to show up. We have somebody there already. I think that's important. I think that's vital. Um, I think that there's some other things that we can also take a look at to stiffen up security. I would love to go into detail about it because this is where I kind of geek out. But I'm also very hesitant to do so because I don't want to publicize where we need to improve on for security issues. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, that so, makes sense. So there's definitely, uh, I think, some avenues of where we can improve. And so uh, I am actually looking at that and exploring that with the superintendent. And then uh, I will say uh, many corruption deaths that went to uh, help strengthen security at school districts, that's pretty much complete at this point. I know there's two schools uh, that are kind of that don't have the security vestibules. Again, I'm not going to point those out in the public forum, but uh, there's practical reasons why those haven't happened yet. But those uh, security vestibules, I do believe, provide a significant uh, layer of security for us as well. People just can't gain access into uh, into the buildings, and and so I think. One, that's important, uh, and two, I think that that's a premise that has also been made from Prop S. Do you think there is an issue with mental health in our schools? Um, I think there is an issue with mental health throughout the whole country. Um, it's nothing new. 
Um, I mean, it's it's relatively new, I guess you could say, but it's not new in the sense that it's the past couple of years. We've noticed that there's been a mental health uh, crisis and a trend towards that crisis over the past couple of decades. Uh, I think even before that trend started, and not started, but was recognized, there was a trend towards that, and we just didn't realize it. And so kind of narrowing that down to your question, though, I think it's vitally important that we have the proper resources since we are a public school district. We do uh, have all the students, um, even ones with mental health issues, because at the end of the day, if a public school, I'm sorry, if a private school uh, doesn't want a student there, there may be too much of an issue for them. They they have no choice but to attend a public school. And so we have to be able to provide those uh, resources and accommodate those uh, students as well. So addressing mental health within the public schools is not only important, uh, it's somewhat mandated by the law, but I think it's uh, very vital for the individual student's success, and I think it's vital for uh, us as a community and society as a whole. Do you think that schools should educate students about different sexual identities? Ooh, you are hitting all the hot topics today. <laughs> um, I think that there can be a time and a place for that. But doing so in an area and doing so in an area such as a school may not, not be the best time or place for it. Uh, I do know that uh, there needs to be some, um, how do I want to say this? There needs to be some mindfulness on age appropriateness regarding this. Uh, but we also know that kids are uh, also know that these topics are happening in the community uh, and that tends to kind of spill into the schools. And so helping a child uh, with that probably should involve the parents. If that makes sense, that should be yeah. a mom and dad thing. And if there are issues that are being brought to uh, the attention of uh, school officials, I think that should be a, a point to where mom and dad, mom or dad, moms, dads, whatever, uh, parents should be brought into that equation to kind of help to figure that part out. Uh, but then flatly ignoring that there are um, – discussions nationwide, say at a high school level, I don't think that that does us any service either. So I think that there can be thoughtful discussions that happen, but if we're starting to get into the territory of you should be this or you should be that rather than general conversations about it, then that gets into areas that uh, feel quite uncomfortable and maybe not necessarily appropriate as well. Do you think schools should limit what information is available in their libraries? Can you repeat that first part again? Uh, uh, I think we're breaking up a little bit. Sorry. Um, do you think that schools should limit what information is available in their libraries? Again, I think age appropriateness needs to come into that conversation. So when you see at a high school library, you're not going to see at an elementary school, right? So there's definitely some restrictions that should be placed on some books uh, for uh, different age appropriateness. And so 
I think that's kind of a given. A lot of times when we get to that kind of point and having conversations like that, then it goes, well, what's the, uh, what, what is that appropriate? What is appropriate for those levels? That's a whole new kind of a nuanced type of uh, question. And so there's conversations uh, that you're uh, having around that. This, a school library is very similar to a public library. And when you look at different laws and case laws from the Supreme Court, that's really how they kind of view public, I'm sorry, school libraries it's from a public standpoint. And so if there are books there, there has to be a process uh, for removing those books. Uh, and so that's important too. So just because someone finds a book offensive doesn't necessarily mean that it shouldn't be there. And what is offensive about the book? That should be something that's discussed. It shouldn't just be somebody hears something in this title of this book and everybody thinks that book needs to be removed. Is there value to that? And so whatever I got any emails or questions to me about any particular books, I would ask that particular set of questions. What exactly do you think is offensive? And what is the overall context of whatever you find is offensive. Is it just the few pages that you're referencing? And if it is just the few pages, does that lead to anything else within that book? Right. Because if we if we if we go down that path, we need to figure out why something's offensive and then have those conversations. Because if there's no educational or beneficial value to it, then that might be something that a a committee uh, again, following that process, should entertain on either restricting or removing it. And so that could be an important step to that. But then also, if it's only because we're talking about uh, something sexual, then that might not be good enough in order to remove it from the library. So do you, how, uh, sorry. Do you think parental influence over schools is important? You mean regarding parents being involved in schools and what uh, influence they have over policies and instruction? Uh, yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's not only important, I think it's paramount because the parents obviously are entrusting the schools and the school district with their kids, so it has to be a valued education that's being provided to the, the kid. The, but it also has to... Uh, the school district, that is, has to be responsive to the community. And since the parents are part of the community, that's part of that uh, that factor, too. So it can't be just a system where we teach only what we want to teach, when we want to teach it, and just have a hard-minded approach like that. Kind of spoke to that early with some other uh, answers to questions you asked about a balanced approach. We have to be able to trust our teachers, trust the experts in the rooms about education, but we also have to be able to trust our parents as well and uh, and also fulfill the needs and desires of, them, of teachers and of the students. How would you try to keep everyone's voices heard as um, going forward as a member of the board? Well, I think that's the thing about it any good decision maker or leader is that you allow those voices to say what they want to say. So allow them to be heard and then factor in all of that information and you make the best, uh, best decision possible. 
at the end of the day, you have competing interests. You have some groups of individuals that don't like certain things and some individuals that are going to be advocating for something different. And so you have to, as a decision maker, make the best decision possible. We have a rather large district. We have 150,000, I believe, patrons in this district. We have 16,000 students. If you think everybody's going to agree on everything all the time, that's just not going to happen. And so, again, it's about that balanced approach. Because most of the time, whenever you have any of these competing interests, Oftentimes, they don't have the whole landscape of what all the information is. What are these decision points they have? Sometimes, a narrow view, especially if it's only talking about their interest and maybe not taking something else into account. But again, that's the that's the point of leadership and decision makers is to evaluate those uh, points of decision and give them the proper and equal uh, value and make the decision that's best for everybody involved. Mm -hmm. So uh, in talking about making big decisions, do you think that more vaccines should be required for students or for teachers? Uh, More vaccines, like as far as like mandating COVID vaccines, or are we talking about something different? Uh, Yeah, mostly the COVID vaccine. So I don't think that that's something that I believe should be a requirement for employment or even necessarily for students. I believe some of the other, because uh, we, don't, we don't have the requirement for the flu. We don't have that requirement, and that's largely what COVID is. But when we start talking about some of the other vaccines that are uh, mandated, those are all uh, specific to illnesses that are, how do I want to say this? Dangerous, not to say COVID wasn't dangerous, but again, we're talking about the novel flu virus. It's a little bit different than we're talking about polio or measles or uh, any of those other types of vaccinations that we uh, have to get for our kids as well. There, there's uh, science and reasons behind those. I don't know that COVID necessarily falls into that. So it's, it's about walking that fine line. Yeah. Uh, how much direct control do you think the Board of Education should have over the schools? So that's the thing. We, they shouldn't have that uh, much of a direct day-to-day control. That's not the purpose of a school board. A school board is an oversight board for the district, specifically for any kind of day-to-day operations. We delegate that to one employee. The school board is in charge of only one employee, and that is the superintendent. So we approve budgets, we approve expenditures, uh, we set policies for the district, those overarching goals, uh, and kind of the policies are kind of the laws and guidelines within the district. We set those, but for the day-to-day direct stuff, we hire a very specialized person for that, and that's the superintendent. And so that is our employee. And me as a school board member, I don't give a say on what he does on a day-to-day basis. There has to be at least four of us that tells, tells him what to do, right? So I'm only one-seventh of the school board, and you need at least four people on there to give some kind of a directive. And so that's by purposeful design. You can't just have one person 
that's in charge of the school board when we're talking about, uh, I'm sorry, one person that's in charge of the superintendent uh, because the school board is designed to be that oversight board responsive to the community elected by the community because it's taxpayer funded. Uh, how do you feel about state or federal regulation of the school district? State or federal regulations? Well, whenever there's funding coming from a source like the federal government or the state, they're not just giving free money, right? There's always strings attached to that. And so that comes apart with, uh, by regulation. So accepting federal money, uh, for certain things is going to require some, require, uh, require some regulation. So that's a part of that recipe, uh, for our district state the same way. They also have that kind of overarching, uh, you know, uh, authority over education as dictated to them by legislature. So DESE has some authority, uh, and we adhere to MISHA policies, and that's uh, from a state level, uh, regulation, uh, I'm sorry, state level regulatory body, because that's how we're in the sports, and that's how they're all, uh, handled and policies are made for extracurricular sports and whatnot. So, I think that that's part of the design. I'm okay with it uh, to a certain extent, but that doesn't mean if we think that a policy needs to be changed at a state level or federal level, we can't advocate for that. There's definitely ways to do that. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for all the questions you've answered. Uh, I'm about done here now. I won't use up too much more of your time, uh, but what is one more thing that you'd like the voters to know about you and your candidacy? I think I would like them to know that I am a a uh, longtime St. Charles County resident, former law enforcement officer, uh, current business owner. Also teach college level courses as a part time gig as well. But mainly that uh, I have kids in the district. Three of uh, the three children I do have are all a part of this district. So I have a vested interest in the successes of the district because the successes for the district is not only successes for the community, but it's also uh, directly relates to successes of my children as well.